0: chapter twenty-two of outlaws of ravenhurst by sister emma melda wallace s l this librivox recording is in the public domain in the hollow of god's hand out into the west sailed the saint andrew and the nancy Kitts. for three months waves raced with the singing wind watchers hoped hour after hour for a glimpse of unknown shores folk chatted gaily of saint mary's land beyond the sea Then, with a snarling roar, the storm swooped down, snapped the mast of the kits short off, leaving her a helpless log tossed hither and yon by the waves, and wrenched the old timbers of the St. Andrew till she sprang a leak. Yet when the storm drew back, grumbling, both hulks were afloat. The kits had held her caulking. She was of muckle john's making from the toughest oaks of Benander, but the doomed St. Andrew floated only until her living freight was shifted to the lugger as she lurched under sir james said let us thank our father who ruleth the waves and holdeth the sea in the hollow of his hand no lives are lost only our treasured goods and our chest of gold are gone god's mother will provide then followed weeks that were a stern test of that faith the derelict of the kits floated on some bright waves water was doled out in spoonfuls then the bloodhounds of the air were unleashed again Muckle John had stood at the wheel through all the raging darkness of the night and the wilder tempest of the day. Now, once again, in the howling night, the winds fought with the Nancy Kitts, driving the sleet over her in hissing sheets. All about her, long, writhing lines of foam moaned as they rose and fell. Peter, clinging, sliding, stumbling, forced his way to the skipper's side. "'Give me the wheel!' he panted. "'No!' Give it to me or i'll take it from ye." His hand gripped the spokes. Take your hands off or ye'll know who be skipper o' the Nancy kits. Peter stepped back. Ye be muckle, John, but there be an end o' what ye can do, muckle or no muckle, yet I may as we we'll go argue with the mast. Ye will not give in, fit to fall for sheer weariness. Ha, o' common sense, John, give me the wheel afore ye faint. The grim lips were motionless, the giant frame tense. Only the eyes moved, following the seething lines ahead. "'John, lad, give me the wheel and go rest. Six months and more since ye had a night's sleep. Be at rest and to fling your saloon on the deck, only to spring to your feet every time a spar creaks. Will ye never trust me more, since I lost to St. Andrew? Give me the wheel, man, give me the wheel!' "'No!' Ye be killing yourself, John. Give me the wheel. Pray more and prat less. God be looking doon on us, be that true. Wheel, then. He knows what we ha to face. The ship a-leak, the sick dying in the hold, the water spent, the last chest o moldy bread all but gone. God knows I must have strength to steer the Nancy Kitts, and he will give it. Steer where? God may well for Clan Gordon to go to Davy instead of O-America. If that be so, so be it. God have mercy! What now? A writhing, screaming whiteness rose out of the sea before them. The mighty frame of the skipper bent, bent, clenched upon the wheel. The Nancy kit sprang like a living thing, slipped into the trowel of the wave, righted herself, mounted the next, bow to crest. The booming, seething whiteness swirled by on the starboard bow sending a wilderness of foaming waters tumbling across the deck. The thunder of a hundred cannons bellowed to larboard. Not a cable's length from the bow, a wild thing growled, fierce as the spirit of the tempest, soft, fleecy, shimmering as the froth of moonlight. "'Reef to larboard!' shrieked Peter. The grim skipper clenched the wheel and reversed. The kit swung to storeboard again, and, groaning in every wrenched timber, plunged madly onward o oh god the rocks o an unknown coast on such a night as this but the wind hath fallen no we are turned a headland hark do ye no hear yon ugly slush and sound a growler to larboard a nancy kit struck peter lurched forward the roaring swirl carried him out he clutched the rail waters above below around booming in his ears yet he clung the fury grew less He struggled to his feet on the trembling deck. Muckle John still clenched the wheel. Speed ye wheel to Davy. No, we be anchored in America, bow wedged twixt the reef and one horn o' a jetty. The toddler be rammed into the stern. Get word to Sir James. We be on a reef in the Leo rocks with the tide nigh to the turn. If we can float half an hour, we be safe. Peter began to crawl toward the hatches. The waves broke in sheets over the larboard rail, seething across the deck. The eddy caught him and whirled him like a bit of driftwood over the starboard rail. There he clung till the waters passed, crept back to the slippery deck, caught a rope, began dragging himself hand over hand. He had won ten feet or more when the hatches opened. A man stumbled up, grasped the rigging line, staggered, fell, gained his knees, but the billows whirred over the rail again. Peter, clinging to his rope, spun like a trout hooked in the rapids. Someone was coming toward him through the surging waters. Peter stretched out his hand. The other clutched it. Together they swung in the blinding swirl for a moment. The wave was passing. Peter could see dimly the straight-shouldered frame and the white hair of Sir James. The Earl gained his feet. "'Boats, Peter!' he shouted water pouring into the hold she can't float an hour she can float a half-hour then that puts us all safe for the waves will no beat the kits to bit afore her job be done muckle john made her and she will haul to her wheel till the end hour by hour the fury of the waves grew less and less for the storm had spent itself and the tide left the nancy kits high and dry in the gray dawn far out beyond the headland the cannons of the surf were still booming but within the cove the war of wind and wave had ceased the morning sun burst through the banks of cloud flushed the foam and set a thousand rubies gleaming along the reef where the nancy Kitts was perched with clan gordon crowding out on deck to see the brave new world the wet rocks of the headland behind them had each a golden crest Swift rays of trembling light danced across the mile a shallow, tossing sea lying between them and the shore. But what shore? New England? Virginia? The Spanish Isles? The forest crowned steep beyond the sand was silent, solitary. "'Ay, Muckle John,' laughed Peter, "'when be the dory's going? The waves are scarce even choppy now. I be fit to go wild with longin' to set foot on yon invitin' sand.' The dories be gone when Sir James gives the word. Can ye no see he be taken in the lay o the land afore he makes a start? Father, a thin yellow hand touched the arm of Sir James. Joyous eyes looked up at him, joyous though the black circles beneath them were deep. The old merry laugh rang out from lips pale and cracked, rang and then stopped, for the pain almost choked it. They all smiled at the eager boy. Well, son. Oh, father, if you will let Davy and me have a dory, we'll get some oysters. I know how to rake for them, and there must be plenty in a cove like this. If you will let us, by and by, my son, the exploring party must go first. Then, seeing the disappointment in the lad's eyes, both of us cannot go in the first dory. That would leave mother alone. She must feel cold down in the damp cabin. But the sun has already begun to warm the deck. Suppose you ask Jean and Davy to help you make a couch for her up here. Gordon ran gaily toward the hatches. That is, he ran a dozen steps. Then, with a hand upon his side, he leaned against the stump of the broken mast for a moment, straightened himself with a shiver, and went slowly, very slowly, down the ladder. God's blessing be on him, murmured old Donald. There he be at the pumps last night, begging to help and that pain a stab in his side with every breath. He had more grit than their twenty men. Sir James turned from his study of the shore. Muckle John? Aye, sir. Are you sure the large dory is still seaworthy? It be, sir. Lower it, and put in five muskets with powder and shot, a spyglass and a compass. You will go with me in search of a suitable place for camp. Aye, sir. and will? Aye, sir. You will climb that point, the highest on the bluff yonder, to scout. Silence and caution before all things. We cannot fight Indians or any other enemy now. If any sign of human beings be seen, give warning at once. If not, stay as sentries. Aye, sir. Peter? Aye, sir. You will guard the dory. Be ready to push off at a moment's notice. Aye, sir silence as soon as the dory leaves the ship no unnecessary noise on land such as shooting game we must know first whether or not this country is inhabited ay sir a few moments later the dory slid into the choppy waters sir james was standing amidships, scanning the beach the clay bluffs that walled in the cove and the forest edge above them peter was at the helm Mogul john's brownie sons at the oars and the skipper on guard gordon perched on a coil of rope near his mother's couch reported events they will be on land in a little while now all the birds up there in the trees will be singing like a bagpiper's band because the rain's over the sun has dried their feathers and they can see the makings of fine breakfasts everywhere oh mother don't you wish you were but you're asleep lady margaret opened her eyes and smiled no son how warm the air is you love america laddie and so shall we. Clasping the boy's yellow hand in hers, she closed her eyes again. An hour later, Peter and the skipper came back. The place for a camp had been chosen. No Indian or other human being had been seen. In fact, no living thing save the birds. Then came the hurried unloading. Time must not be lost. The next tide was strew the shore with the broken timbers of the Nancy Kitts. The sick were brought from the ship and placed on rough couches made by piling branches on empty casks and covering them with mats and coarse bedding. A shelter from the wind and sun was rigged up from canvas fastened to poles. This would seem scarcely a fitting couch for Lady Margaret of Douglas, Countess of Ravenhurst, daughter of Sir Wilfrid Douglas of the line of old Sir Archibald Bell the Cat, and yet perhaps it was most fitting, for the ballads of ancient days called the women of that famous name the ladies of the bleeding heart. More noble by nature than by blood, Lady Margaret whispered, smiling faintly, though the deep blue Douglas eyes were dark with pain. You have been so gentle in carrying me, Muckle John. May God bless you. But see, John, this soft quilt. Benson needs it far more than I. Lay it on her couch. No, but you must, John. See, they are bringing her now and the giant skipper, wiping his eyes with his great, hairy hand, did as she bade him. Down by the water's edge there was bustle and haste. Pale women and meagre children were searching among the rocks for clams and crawfish, Dories were replying to and from the wreck. Gaunt men were carrying the sick or dragging bundles above the reach of the tide. Weary, miserable, starving, yet a smile lit every face, a smile of thanksgiving for solid earth beneath their feet, a smile of gratitude for freedom to worship the crucified. Gordon came hurrying from the tent toward his father. "'Well, son, how is she?' Sir James asked. "'I just gave her a drink of cold water, but what she needs is something she can eat.' The Earl's face flushed painfully. "'It was hard to bear such poverty as this. "'Son, we must not complain. "'The best has already been given to us. "'We must remember, son.' that we are really beggars, depending on the charity of the clan. They are too loyal to speak of it, even to think of it, but it is true. I am a worn-out man, and penniless, since the bit of gold I had saved went down with the St. Andrew. We must face the truth, son. I did not mean that, father. Anyway, what if the gold did go to Davy's locker? There is nobody here from whom to buy. But if mother had a little soup, a bit of venison, even a rabbit stew... Son, the men have been watching for game all day. Sure, there's none down here on the sand. The storm has sent the game into the thickets. The men must unload the kits before the tide comes in. None can be spared for hours. They won't let me help, so let me hunt. I could get a few rabbits with a sling, even if you do not want a gun fired. No, son, no. You must not go into these strange woods alone, if you were lost." but I won't get lost. I was bred in the woods. Near Abel's farm in Maryland, perhaps you could find your way, but we do not know where we are in America. From the trees, I judge, we are not far to the north, nor in tropical land. But this forest may stretch to the vast South Sea, for all any of us knows. But, Father, Daddy Abel taught us how to find our way in unknown woods. Every boy had to know things like that. I know how to blaze a trail." But on short trips, he said to find a good landmark and not get out of sight of it. Oh, Father, I do know how to take care of myself. Mother needs the soup. Oh, please, Father, don't say no. Sir James looked at the pleading boy, then at the canvas stretched above the sick. You give me your word not to get out of sight of your landmark, even once, even for a moment? Yes, Father. YOU WILL COME BACK IN AN HOUR WHETHER YOU FIND ANY GAME OR NOT? YES, FATHER. IT IS A GREAT RISK, BUT THE SICK NEED FOOD. WELL, YOU MAY GO, AND GOD BLESS YOU, SON. GORDON WALKED OVER THE SAND AND MADE HIS WAY steadily UP THE STEEP CLAY BANKS WHICH BOUNDED THE BEACH. A YEAR AGO HE WOULD HAVE CLIMBED FOR THE VERY JOY OF THE STRUGGLE. NOW IT WAS SLOW AND PAINFUL WORK. A HALF DOZEN TIMES HE SAT DOWN TO REST. Head against the hard clay of the slope, hand upon his throbbing side. But the memory of that gentle mother under the old sail brought him wearily to his feet again. At last the climb was over. He stood under the first of the forest trees. Before him they stretched in endless leafy arches. He turned and looked back. A dwarf in the toy dory coming from the kits with a load. That was Muckle John. Someone struggling with a heavy burden. That was Sir James, a lump burned in Gordon's throat. Now for a landmark, not a good one in sight. He might get one from a treetop. Climbing a tree was fun a year ago, but not now. His head throbbed with dizzy pain as he struggled from branch to branch, not daring to look down, resting only when the pain shot through him with sickening misery. I must be almost at the top now, he panted. Gordon raised his head, leaned forward, gasped, and stared again at the little bluff outlined against the blue October sky. Sutter's knob! It's Sutter's knob! We're not five miles from Abel's! End of chapter 22